Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, and welcome to the Wild Brain Fiscal 2020 third quarter earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that time, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I'd now like to turn the call over to Nancy Chan Palmatier, Director, Investor Relations at Wildbrain. You may begin your conference. Thank you, Operator, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Speaking on the call today are Eric Ellenbogen, our CEO, and Aaron Ames, our CFO. Also with us and available during the question and answer session are Josh Sherba, our president, and Daniel Neath, our EVP of Finance and Chief Accounting Officer. First, we have some standard cautionary statements. The matters discussed on this call include forward-looking statements under applicable securities laws with respect to Wallbrain, including but not limited to statements regarding an exchangeable debenture financing, use of proceeds from such financing for acquisitions and other investments, the impacts of COVID-19 on the company and its business, and the future financial and operating performance of the company and its assets. Such statements are based on information currently available and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. Actual information available, actual results, or events in the future could differ materially and adversely from those described in the forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors, including the risk factors set out in the company's most recent MD&A and annual information form. Please note that all currency numbers are in Canadian dollars. For the question and answer session that will follow, we ask that each analyst keep to one question with one follow-up so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. If you would like to ask an additional question, please rejoin the queue. Please note that we are all in separate locations for the call today, so we appreciate your patience if we encounter any lumpiness as we steer the Q&A. I will now hand the call over to our CEO, Eric Ellenbogen. Thank you, Nancy, and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, and thank you for joining us today. I hope everyone is, uh, who's listening has been safe and well. First of all, I'd like to say how proud I am of our global team and how they've stepped up during these challenging times. Early in the pandemic, we moved quickly and decisively to implement work-from-home solutions for all employees, enabling our people to remain safe while still being connected and productive. And this was really no small feat, especially at our animation studio, and I'm grateful to our support teams who rose to the occasion with such speed and professionalism. Um, today, in conjunction with our Q3 earnings, we've announced that we've entered into a binding term sheet for $25 million, uh, in the form of exchangeable debentures with fine capital, our largest shareholder. But uh, before we discuss the quarterly results, I'd like to uh, talk about this positive development. To be very clear, this is not working capital for our business. Uh, we've taken measures to contain costs and to address working capital and cash flow. 
and as Aaron will speak about shortly, the financing is structured so that it will not impact our leverage ratio covenant whatsoever. This is capital that was born out of the remarkable opportunity set that we see in today's environment, and it will be used exclusively to finance attractive, creative investments across areas such as content, IP, and technology, and with a special focus on our AVOD business, Wildbrain Spark. Um, as I've stated on every earnings call since becoming CEO, we're building this company for the long term, and to do that, we need to grow strategically. Looking across the media industry, one of the most exciting growth opportunities I see is the rise of AVOD, or Advertising Supported Video On Demand. Um, I read a recent report from Deloitte that we can share that predicted global revenue from AVOD services will reach an estimated U.S. $32 billion this year, uh, which reflects a CAGR of 21% from 2018 to 2020. Um, another report, as of this March, an eMarketer report, forecasted that YouTube's annual gross revenues in the U.S. alone will reach uh, $12.6 billion in 2022, which reflects a five-year CAGR of 24%. So in our multiple platform approach to the market, SVOD and Linear do continue to be incredibly important segments for our content. However, we're seeing an emerging global AVOD business with rapid growth, and at the same time, YouTube and, uh, and media giants uh, are entering the space. So last quarter, uh, I spoke to you about the potential impact from changes uh, at YouTube uh, and what it did to uh, their advertising policy, and that was in January. And as expected, Wild Brain Spark experienced a revenue decline of 37% in Q3. However, we actually began to see evidence of a recovery during February and March before the impact of COVID-19. Nevertheless, we expect uh, Wild Brain Spark to be a positive EBITDA contributor this fiscal year, as well as for fiscal 2021. Wild Brain Spark continues to post record level audience growth with views up a remarkable 36% and watch times up 71% through April compared to April 2019. In the media business, advertising dollars follow eyeballs, and with monthly views now approaching $4 billion, Wild Brain Spark has one of the largest and most engaged global audiences in the kids and family space. While we anticipate the slowdown in advertising caused by COVID-19 to extend into our fiscal 2021, the ad market will, of course, eventually recover, and when it does, we plan to be there in strength. As many of you uh, may be aware, over my 30-year career in media, I've established a strong M&A track record, always with the goal of creating value for shareholders. And to that end, we've identified a pipeline of potential tuck-in transactions that we believe will be both creative to earnings and to our leverage profile, and also enhance our growth prospects, strengthen our IP portfolio, and build platform scale to solidify Wild Brain Spark's leadership position in the AVOD market. We see AVOD as a very big part of the future of our company, and we remain steadfast in our conviction that Wild Brain Spark represents a highly valuable source of emerging content, brand amplification, and advertising monetization. Our leadership position has afforded us significant scale and learnings across viewership patterns 
both globally and regionally, monetization practices, short-form content production, and brand amplification. All of this allows us to bring significant value to our current and potential partners in the market, particularly in what has become a very difficult environment with the algorithm changes in January and the global pandemic starting in March. The current market affords us many opportunities for IP investment, and we will now have the capital to pursue those opportunities and to support our content partners in Wildbrain Spark while advancing growth across the company. Before I turn the call over to Aaron, uh, I'll provide a brief business update. Um, having implemented work from home solutions for our studio of 700 people, our anima animation production continues at over 95% efficiency. Our slate remains healthy with a robust pipeline. Projects underway include a new, pe new Peanuts content for Apple TV+, a new Johnny Test original series for Netflix, as well as projects for DreamWorks, Lego, and Mattel. We expect to continue to deliver those projects on budget and with minimal delays. Our live action slate hasn't been impacted so far since we're currently between seasons with no shooting scheduled to begin until late summer. Meanwhile, our content is experiencing strong demand across platforms, providing hours of comfort, education, and entertainment to families around the world. Viewership on our Canadian linear channels is strong, with ratings on Family Channel up more than 54% in April across kids and family demographics. Furthermore, our TV channels aren't dependent on advertising. Some 90% of the revenue in that segment comes from cable subscribers, so we continue to generate steady cash flow from that business. Our new live action series, Mallory Towers, is a hit with fans and critics in the UK, where it launched in recent weeks on BBC's iPlayer and its linear children's channel, CBBC, to very strong viewership and positive reviews. Streaming services and telecasters across the industry are reporting a spike in demand from viewers, and these trends are presenting new production and distribution opportunities, which our content and sales teams are actively pursuing. Um, we're also seeing promising interest uh, for our content in China. Our new managing director for the territory, Jin Bao Wei, who joined us in January, has been focused on building his team and pursuing content deals. And while there's nothing to announce just yet, we're looking forward to sharing good news in the coming quarters. On the licensing side of our business, we're seeing some short-term disruptions in the retail sector at bricks and mortar, yet we're also seeing an accelerated shift to online. We expect potential impacts on our own brands and those represented by our agency business, Wildbrain CPLG, and we're monitoring the market closely to assess measures that may be needed. That said, brand strength is more important now than ever as people gravitate to comforting, dependable, and known brands. Peanuts is, of course, a highly resilient legacy brand celebrating its 70th anniversary this year. Loved around the world, Peanuts is a top 10 character brand at retail. We believe over the long term, it will continue to perform well, supported by our new content on Apple TV+. Snoopy in Space is one of the most watched shows on the Apple TV Plus platform, and the series has recently been made available for free viewing by Apple. 
with that, uh, I'll turn the call over to Aaron Ames. Thank you, Eric. Before diving into the Q3 results, I'll quickly share some additional detail about the financing we announced today. As Eric stated, these funds will be earmarked for accretive transactions to drive our content and brand strategy, particularly in Wildbrain Spark. The financing structure will not affect our leverage ratio for covenant purposes under our credit agreement as the debentures are being issued by a wholly owned subsidiary excluded from the security under such agreement. The binding term sheet that we entered into with Fine Capital is for $25 million in debentures, which are exchangeable into shares of Wildbrain at $1.45 per share. In addition, a five-year warrant will be issued that can be exchanged for 5 million shares at $1.45 per share. The debentures will bear interest at 7.5% per annum, payable at maturity, three years from the date of closing. The term sheet is conditional on completion of definitive agreements and subject to satisfaction of customary conditions to closing. Turning now to the Q3 results, our revenue was 98.3 million compared with 110 million in the same period, in the same prior year quarter. Lower revenue for the quarter was mainly driven by our global distribution segment, including Wellbrain Spark. Year-to-date revenue was 332.7 million versus 331 million in the same nine-month period a year ago. Gross margin increased to 45% in both Q3 2020 and year-to-date 2020, compared to 43% in Q3 last year and 42% in the first nine months in fiscal 2019. The increase is primarily due to higher non-Wildbrain Spark distribution business as a percentage of the total and the impact of IFRS 16. Free cash flow for Q3 2020 was negative 3.2 million compared to negative free cash flow of 1.1 million in Q3 2019. Year to date 2020, we generated positive free cash flow of 17.8 million versus free cash flow of 6.4 million in year to date 2019. The period over period variances were driven by timing of working capital, reflecting our focus on collecting trade receivables and tax credits. And by the way, the CRA, Canada Revenue Agency, has been very helpful to our industry during this time frame. Adjusted EBITDA was 17.9 million in Q3 2020 compared with 20.1 million in Q3 2019. The adoption of IFRS 16 positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 1.9 million this quarter. Normalizing for this impact, adjusted EBITDA decreased 4.1 million in Q3 2020. Year-to-date 2020, adjusted EBITDA was 63.1 million compared to 59.4 million year-to-date 2019. Year-to-date 2020, IFRS 16 positively impacted adjusted EBITDA by 6 million, while the first quarter of fiscal 2019 benefited from a 1.3 million related to a higher ownership stake in peanuts for part of that quarter. Normalizing for both these items, adjusted EBITDA declined by 1.1 million in the first nine months of fiscal 2020. We posted a net loss of 221.7 million in Q3 versus a net loss of 18.4 million in Q3 last year. Year-to-date 2020 net loss was 240 million compared with net loss of 38.7 million in the same period a year ago. The higher net loss was largely driven by non-cash goodwill impairment charge of 184.5 million resulting from the potential impact of global economic uncertainties and the effective changes made by YouTube related to targeted advertising. This is a non-cash charge that has no impact on our business operations, cash flows, or our ability to meet debt obligations, and it doesn't reflect the long-term potential of our assets and business. I'll now hand the call back to Eric. Uh, thanks very much, Aaron. 
we have fantastic people working at Wildbrain, and I'm very proud of the efforts and sacrifices they're making. We remain optimistic, and we are encouraged to be able to provide the world with quality entertainment at this challenging time. Producing high-quality kids and family entertainment is at the very core of what we do at Wildbrain, and we remain committed to and energized by this mission. And with that, um, let's open up to questions. Certainly. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, I will remind everyone to press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. We will pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Aravinda Galapathy from Canaccord Genuity. Your line is open. Good morning. Thanks for taking my question. Um, my first question is on um, the, um, the, uh, the wild brain trend, wild brain spark trend. Um, I think you provided some color early on that uh, in April the ad trends were down about uh, 60%. I was wondering, uh, with you know, whether there's a little bit more visibility around what the potential um, uh, recovery would look like in terms of shape. You know, recognizing it can spill over well into fiscal 2021. I was wondering if there's a little bit more color on that, uh, the, the shape of that recovery could be. Um, and then as my follow-up, uh, with respect to the consumer product side of the business, obviously still a material element of your revenue and EBITDA, um, is, um, can you just talk to sort of the, the potential hits to profitability there? Uh, recognizing, of course, that uh, you know your interest in peanuts is now 41% on an economic basis. Um, I'll leave it there. Thank you. All right. Um, so, uh, as we've said, we've seen a revenue decline around 60% in April. Uh, this is your first question, of course, as a result of the impact of YouTube changes and uh, COVID-19, uh, and we're adjusting in the short uh, term. Uh, you know, our focus uh, really isn't on quarter-to-quarter uh, -quarter results. Um, I think you know that from uh, speaking to you on the number of calls we've had, but we really take a, uh, a long view. And while we don't report uh, segment EBITDA, uh, Spark, I can, I can say, is positive EBITDA uh, for this fiscal year, and we expect that to extend uh, into 2021 as well. Uh, even accounting for uh, the hit that the advertising market has has taken, and we're following very closely. Uh, you know, you guys uh, each have your own estimates about when the advertising market uh, will recover. Uh, but uh, as I say, what we saw was in the uh, in the made for kids uh, decline in January and February, uh, as you know that. That became effective the first of the year, uh, we, we saw some meaningful recovery uh, because of YouTube algorithm changes and owing to the, um, the, the quality of our, uh, our platform. Um, so we're not going to, um, uh, you know, we're making these uh, short-term uh, adjustments. Um, and uh, one of the things that we're doing, uh, which represents our commitment to the platform uh, is uh, to build out our uh, data analytics. Uh, we are, um, uh, with this new investment capital, going to be focused on um, IP investment uh, across the platform. Uh, 
Um, and um, we still have this incredibly engaged and uh, large audience. Um, and one of the things uh, I think that I mentioned in my, um, my earlier discussion is that, uh, that across the industry, there is this migration that is happening between um, linear and nonlinear television. And, uh, you know, we obviously see signs of that quite directly in our own television channels, which are not advertising dependent, but we have 10% exposure to that. And the migration is to the, uh, to the dollars. I think I saw something uh, yesterday, the day before, in the journal uh, regarding cancellations by advertisers uh, in the uh, linear space, uh, perhaps representing, um, you know, $1.5 billion in the U.S. market. Uh, but the comment was that those dollars, uh, not all of them, but a portion of them would instead be migrating to uh, nonlinear and uh, digital platforms. So I, I, that's what I can kind of say generally. Um, and, uh, and again, the exposure that we're getting right now with this, you know, remarkable uh, increase um, in, the, uh, in the views and watch time is, is introducing many families to the Wild Brain uh, platform. Uh, which we're delighted with, and you know, like Netflix and the other services that have enjoyed this spike, uh, we think many of them are there to stay. Um, would you uh, repeat your second question, please? Yeah, the second question was around the consumer products business. Um, you know, any additional color you can provide on the uh, the impact on uh, the merch sales there, uh, specifically re uh, relating to or mainly relating to uh, peanut. Yeah. Um, look. Uh, we, we have, um, uh, well, first of all, I should say that um, the two aspects of the consumer products uh, business, as you know, one is peanuts, um, the other is uh, through our uh, direct agency business, um, Wild Brain CPLG. So uh, there'll be impacts, uh, no question, on uh, consumer products and licensing, um, uh, as some retailers haven't been able to move to online sales. Um, we're watching it closely. What we are seeing, though, because it's a very, um, uh, you know, we have, we, we kind of know what's happening in the business, at least among licensees, uh, almost a year ahead because they're putting through approvals, uh, new product lines coming through. We haven't seen very much of a cessation in any of those approvals coming through the pipeline. Um, so we think that uh, the disruptions are really going to be happening at the retail level. So far, we haven't seen any impacts at the licensee level. Um, so it's hard to size, uh, and uh, you know I can't I can't give you an exact number. Um, what we do know, and I've seen this before. I had I saw this in 2008. Consumers gravitate towards established brands, but so do the retailers. Um, I think it's harder probably in a highly recessionary market to roll out um, new product. Um, and I don't, mean, I don't mean new SKUs of an existing brand, but rather new brand rollouts. And the retailers tend to stick with the tried and true. Um, they know what the velocity is on shelf, what the items of merchandise that move the most are. And we're kind of the beneficiary of that. I mean, we represent famous brands, obviously, in CPLG and in Peanuts. Um, and um, uh, Peanuts remains a top 10 
character uh, at, uh, at retail. So I, I think we'll see resiliency uh, in this business. Uh, overall, um, you know, CPLG is not a giant contributor. It's part of our 360 uh, solution. Um, and so whatever the impacts are at retail, I think that that will uh, only be lightly felt uh, at the, uh, in the roll-up at the company level. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Deepak Kishal from Stiefel GMP. Your line is open. Oh, uh, hey, good morning, guys. Um, just a question regarding the um, the, um, the venture structure. Uh, you guys mentioned that, that um, you're carving it out into a subco. I'm just wondering if, if the acquisitions you make when deploying that $25 million, um, will those sit in the subco? Will the ownership be skewed towards fine capital in that subco? And the follow-up would be, are you planning to transfer more of your wild brain core assets into that? I'll just leave it there. Thanks. I'll let Aaron uh, uh, take that question. Hi, Deepak. I uh, hope you and your family are well. Um, so, so uh, new acquisitions that are that use those funds would go into that uh, that subco. Um, existing uh, IP would not go into that subco. So, uh, it's it's just meant for for new and accretive transactions. Um, it's a it's a hundred percent owned subco. It's a it's a debt structure with uh, you know with these exchangeable debentures, but it's a hundred percent owned subco. So um, the benefit is is to uh, Wild Brain Limited. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Tim Casey from BMO. Your line is open. Uh, thanks. A few for me. Um, Eric, could you talk a, a little bit about um, this $25 million M&A fund? It sounds like you, you, you have 16 available immediately. Um, you know, it, it, I, obviously we don't expect you to name names, but Mark, could you talk about uh, the size of entity uh, you would, you know, most likely, you would most like to acquire and, and the nature, you know, what, what you're looking for from that entity? And then... Um, could you talk a little bit about what you're hearing from your linear and your uh, your nonlinear uh, uh, partners? I guess um, you know what do you, what are you hearing from the, that's changed from pre-COVID uh, in terms of how you, you expect to deal with them, and what are you hearing from that's different between them? Um, I, I guess you know I would assume that the linear, more advertising-driven. Uh, partners are uh, are feeling pain a lot more, and and I would expect the streamers are really kind of doubling down. But just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks for the question. So uh, why don't I take the second question first, uh, uh, just because uh, that's pretty straightforward. Um, in the um, we're, we're seeing an increased demand post COVID uh, for library content. <clears throat> from both linear and nonlinear, and uh, though the uh, the linears uh, are more advertising impacted, um, they're also not getting delivery on some live action content, um, and uh, therefore turning to library 
uh, in order to uh, to fill the void and uh, and keep their schedules up to date. Obviously, uh, more economical to acquire library content, and we have an incredibly large library and you know a deep content shelf, um, and uh, are there for our customers. So I would say that's that's a bit of the pre and post. Um, in the uh, nonlinear space, um, I think the response has been uh, similar. Their businesses are obviously incredibly healthy, and um, you know, I'm sure all of you have read. You know, we and the animation industry, in general, uh, are up and running and have been able to uh, uh, deliver uh, content and continue production while there's been a fairly widespread uh, shutdown in all other. Uh, formats, uh, live action, whether it's reality, scripted, uh, and otherwise. Um, <clears throat> you know, hard to say as we sort of emerge from the recovery uh, what that market is going to look like, but you know, my experience tells me that, again, library content is going to be more economical, uh, you know, particularly if we're able to deliver, as we do, uh, you know, branded entertainment and known content. Um, and then, you know, the, the flush uh, SVODs, uh, complemented, I should say, by the emergence of all of these new services, uh, are going to create, uh, I think, an unusual demand uh, in the market for, uh, for animated content and, and our uh, IP titles. So <clears throat> that's, that's kind of the picture uh, that we're seeing uh, emerge. I don't think it's unique to us, um, you know. I think that, that uh, is a rising tide across uh, content companies um, in general. Um, to, to go to your first question, uh, um, <clears throat> given uh, the, uh, the, well, first of all, the nature of the, uh, the debenture is we can draw all the rest of the funds as needed. So uh, it is committed capital uh, and, uh, you know, this, this structure, you know, just defers some, uh, some of the interest uh, on the undrawn funds. Um, so we love the structure of the deal. It's, um, you know, obviously we have in our sites um, uh, potential acquisitions around the first tranche uh, and have been looking uh, at transactions, uh, you know, not in the last 30 days, but sort of since I arrived at the company. And um, the, this capital now, I think, has an opportunity set around it that, um, you know, again, sort of the same as I saw in uh, 2008. I, I saw at the time of the, uh, the Internet bubble uh, before that um, and, uh, and, you know, in every economic pullback. Um, so I, I would say uh, size of transaction, um, you know, uh, from, uh, you know, six-figure to seven-figure deals, um, and, uh, you know, in, in many instances, um, these will be uh, deals that we do with partners at, uh, at Wild Brain Spark. Uh, you know, we obviously know a great deal about the, uh, the content uh, that we have up on that network from content partners. And we see this as an opportunity to uh, extend and deepen the relationships around that content. Um, you know, as many of them will be uh, impacted by the fallback in, uh, in advertising, uh, you know, as well as the uh, made-for-kids changes, uh, which we saw some recovery in. But, um, uh, you know, and then on other things, standalone IP, 
that we can put through the system on, our, uh, on a 360 basis, where we're picking up licensing and merchandising rights, uh, you know, um, new production rights. Um, and then, you know, the other category that I would say is um, in our very large library, uh, we have um, some great titles uh, in which we may own only uh, certain territories or rights, and I see this as an opportunity to own the, in, the entire bundle of IP uh, and stuff that we uh, really like and favor, around which, uh, once again, we have a lot of experience and uh, we kind of know the performance in the market, uh, its regional strengths, et cetera. So that, that's really what I would say about the, uh, the pipeline. It is, um, we have a healthy list um, and kind of growing every day. Um, so I'm pretty excited about uh, what we're going to be able to do um, uh, you know, with these across the entire company. Could, could I just ask a clarification? Are, are the companies you're targeting, are they exclusively content and rights related or would you be looking at, um, uh, you know, data analytics companies and, and more things on, on the other side of what you do? So I, I think that the uh, un unlikely uh, in, you know, particularly data analytics, because one of the things that we do, we spend on that now. And um, a lot of that money uh, runs through our operating budget. Uh, you know, similarly, uh, creative development. We spend a lot on creative development. And as I've discussed in uh, prior calls, uh, I've made that a priority uh, when we did the rights offering. Uh, it was to uh, free up some capital to, uh, to move into those areas. Um, and uh, I, I really view these as, as acquired assets uh, rather than operating companies. Um, so, um, you know, it's, it's uh, IP-centric. There, there may be uh, some of these uh, where, uh, you know, often uh, it's, it's interesting in past acquisitions I've done, uh, you get a gift with purchase, and uh, there are other assets attached to, uh, you know, a company that you're buying. Um, so it may come in that form. Um, and, you know, those some, sometimes turn out to be real bluebirds. Uh, so, um, but I would say the primary focus is, is content-related. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of David McFadden from Cormark Securities. Your line is open. Um, yeah, thank you. A couple of questions. I was just wondering, is there any other security in this uh, new sub that you're creating aside from the future acquisitions? Are you starting out with zero security in that sub initially? Um, th there's zero security other than the cash that would be put in. Okay. Um, and then just on the distribution revenue, you, you know, you talked a lot about um, the fact that, you know, there's been a lot of live action production that's been put on hiatus, you know, exactly when it's coming back and broadcasters need shows. And, and so they're looking for increased library, um, but the, yet the distribution revenue in Q3 was down. Uh, so I was kind of surprised by that. I thought it might be up. I was just wondering, is that a result of the of you licensing out a fair amount of your library already and you're waiting for the, the rights to revert back to you? Or should we expect to see some nice revenue increases in the, in the distribution side in the fourth quarter and heading into 2021? I'll let uh, Josh take the uh, part of this question. Uh, what I would say is so much of this is timing related. 
Uh, and, um, you know, um, not to be a broken record, but no deal before its time. And uh, I'm not doing this on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis, and I, I sort of look ahead multiple quarters uh, for when it is uh, opportunistic and we're making the best deals, uh, really a break from uh, past practice. Um, so you'll see, you know, uh, some variation on a quarter-to-quarter -quarter basis, uh, but uh, my suggestion is to take a uh, full-year view on this. But, uh, Josh, uh, you, you can pick up just around what the opportunity set is. Yeah, I, I, I would just mention, David, that the kind of these, any of these short-term opportunities that have arisen, um, you know, lockdown for for uh, for a lot of countries didn't begin until the middle of March. Deals take some time to to get through. So, I, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have expected any of these opportunities to present themselves in the numbers this quarter. Um, but we're but again, there there are um, there there are some of these um, uh, incremental opportunities that are out there, and we're pursuing. Um, and um, and we're we're pleased with where we are for the year in distribution, and, and expect that to continue. Yeah, just to add to what Josh said. So, but year to date, and to what Eric said, year to date, we're ahead on the first nine months by 2.6 million in distribution, excluding Wildbrain Spark. Um, and Wildbrain Spark, by the way, is is also ahead year to date by by almost five million. Okay, um, but you kind of didn't answer the, the part of the question about. So, do you expect that? The distribution revenue to be up in fourth quarter and into 2021 uh, as a result of these, you know, this increased demand. Any, any, can you respond to that? Well, we do, we don't provide specific estimates for any business unit, but we're, you know, we're we're as as I mentioned, we're we're on track for the year, and we're we're pleased with the direction we're going with distribution. Okay. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Fan from Scotiabank. Your line is open. Thanks. Good morning. Hope everyone is well. Um, just a quick one on the um, on the new financing. Um, it looks like it, it certainly frees you up for opportunities uh, for these acquisitions. Um, so that that could be viewed as a good thing because your current balance sheet certainly didn't give you the, the wiggle room to do that. But I guess at the same time, um, it kind of gives the impression that your current content slate may not be big enough to address that big EVOD opportunity that you talked about. Um, so I'm wondering if you can just kind of reconcile that, um, I guess, specifically for your current content slate before you do these acquisitions. And then the second quick one is on the leverage. Um, if we look kind of forward, I know you don't manage things on a quarter to quarter, but Unfortunately, we do have a lot of debt, and I think that's important, at least looking at it from, from a balance sheet perspective. So when you look at the leverage for the next few quarters, where do you think things will peak on the, on the leverage front when it comes to your uh, net leverage calculation? Thanks. If, if I may, I'll, uh, I'll let Aaron take that. Sure. So I'll start with the leverage, and then uh, on the content side, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it back. Um, you know, we're not you – know, we, as many other companies, are not, um, you know, we're not in a position to understand fully kind of the, the time frames for when things turn back on. But what I would say is we've made significant pride, uh, significant strides on the leverage with paying down over $300 million over the last two years. Uh, we, we did additional cost cutting 
uh, $2 million a quarter that we implemented. And, uh, and this financing allows us to focus on growth. And so, um, so we're, we're very conscious of, of the leverage and we watch it really closely. And on the content side, I'll hand it back to to Eric. Yeah, and uh, Josh can uh, and best address, uh, I think, our um, our content uh, question. Uh, I, I would just add uh, to um, uh, what Aaron has said. We're we're very comfortable uh, with where we sit in leverage. Look, uh, in an ideal world, uh, a lot less. Uh, there's been, uh, you know, a $300 million uh, pay down on debt over the last couple of years. Um, you know, again, we've reduced costs by an additional $2 million a quarter, uh, generating uh, positive cash flow. Um, and, um, and as I uh, uh, suggested at the top of my remarks today, uh, just in terms of, uh, of working capital uh, at the company, and cash flow, um, I think we're, you know, we're ship shape, and um, and so uh, I think that the uh, the financing we've received uh, really allows us to hit for the fences now uh, when it comes to where we've been most restrained, and that is in um, you know these kinds of capital uh, intensive acquisitions. So. Um, so much runs through the operating budgets of the company. Uh, I feel very comfortable uh, because of our uh, where we stand on um, on cash flow <clears throat> to allocate towards uh, creative development. I think that's well covered. Um, and then you know the same thing has been pushing resources into Wildbrain Spark uh, to build out their uh, data team, uh, business development. Uh, operations really have, you know, uh, a you know to, to get great operating leverage into uh, Wildbrain Spark, so that we can onboard a lot of additional content onto this incredibly uh, robust platform to begin with. So th those have been kind of the principal moves uh, on the content part of the question. Um, uh, why don't you repeat that? And I think that uh, Josh may have some remarks on that. Yeah, the question was really um, if if you have to go out and make acquisitions to take advantage of the AVOD opportunity, does that kind of imply the thinking that maybe your content slate currently is not really big enough to address that opportunity? Oh, no. So I, 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 quite to the contrary, Josh. Yeah, yeah. These are these are incremental opportunities that we're seeing out in the market that we want to be able to to take advantage of. Um, we're, we're we're pleased with um, w with our slate and the direction it's going. As as we've stated in previous quarters, we've we've got a renewed focus on talent and quality, um, and you know, and we think that's that's really starting to pay off. We're we're really pleased with the with the content we're producing for Apple TV Plus, and then the announcement recently of a new Johnny Test series. Uh, for Netflix, we're thrilled to be uh, to be re reviving that franchise, and we think fans are going to be really pleased with what we've done. It's a it's a huge improvement on the quality of the animation, um, and and we think that that's going to be a big win for us. And lots more uh, lots more happening across the slate. And maybe just a quick follow up on the um, on on the subco, and so when you make acquisitions within the subco, and suppose that the, there's a huge value created from the subco, whether it be through EBITDA or some other value creation, how does that count towards the, the leverage calculation, if it does at all? 
Yeah, so um, so I'll take that. Um, so it, it's a unique structure. Um, so from a leverage perspective, the there's non-recourse to the company. So that's that's why uh, it doesn't add to the uh, leverage for the covenant calculation. But there's um, the opportunity on an EBITDA basis to uh, to transfer those funds uh, to the you know to the uh, restricted company and therefore get an improvement on uh, on uh, on the restricted company growth in EBITDA and, le- and leverage. Okay, got it. Thanks. Your next question comes from the line of Deepak Kishal from Stiefel GMP. Your line is open. Oh, hi. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for letting me um, ask a couple follow-ups. Um, so, so, Eric, I just wanted to play back the strategy uh, on the M&A side. It sounds like you're, go- you're going to be going out and acquiring AVOD first brands rather than networks or software and effectively bringing in third-party, bringing into house third-party producers on Spark. Is that correct? And, you know, how much third-party versus created, internally created content should we expect going forward? And I have a follow-up. Thanks. Sure thing. Um, it, it's really, just to, to clarify, uh, IP-centric, uh, it's, um, it's what we do best, um, and, uh, and generally acquiring, uh, you know, all rights uh, across all media. Obviously, each deal is different, um, but I don't view it necessarily as uh, purely Spark um, uh, as the beneficiary. They will be uh, primary beneficiary. We see, you know, a huge amount of emerging content. One of the things that is great about this platform, I have to say, uh, is the data science that we apply to emerging content. And a lot of the third-party content that you refer to and you see on that network has been acquired exactly that way, that uh, we're in touch with creators globally uh, who uh, are producing new content. You, you never know where the next hit is going to come from. And so in some instances, we have uh, just represented that content uh, on an agency basis, and uh, this will allow us, um, and you know, they've asked us for this, uh, to partner with them in, uh, in IP and content uh, creation of things on our network as well as things coming out of their studio. So I think that's one aspect of it. The other thing that I, I referred to was uh, expansion of, uh, of rights uh, in our existing content uh, library and really, uh, you know, having the full uh, bundle of IP uh, where we may hold fractionalized rights or limited rights. Um, and again, those are things in which we have uh, obviously good operating experience and we sort of understand the, uh, the economics and audience appeal uh, around that IP. Uh, so those are going to be the, uh, principally the, the two buckets uh, that we're, uh, we're looking at, um, you know, as well as, uh, uh, you know, a piece of IP that might be out there that includes library content. Uh, so there is existing cash flow associated with the uh, acquired asset uh, and uh, with rights to make uh, new content. And, you know, that's been the pattern and practice of the company in its previous acquisitions. So um, that's, that's what I would say. It's uh, probably three different buckets. Okay, great. And then, you know, obviously this is a bigger picture question. You know, there's been a huge shift in viewing and advertising online platforms. It's, it's long-term profound and still kind of being shaken out. Uh, but in terms of um, shelf life, 
what are your expectations in terms of shelf life for, you know, these online AVOD first brands versus kind of what we've seen in terms of shelf life historically? Are, are you expecting this to, to change? Uh, how, how do you kind of think about shelf life potential for, you know, in the online world and how does that shape your revenue strategy? And I'll pass one again. Thanks. Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. You're <laughs> um, the long tail. So <clears throat> I think it's, it's a couple of different categories. One, I would say in the, um, to distinguish the AVOD market from the uh, SVOD market. So uh, in SVOD, uh, you know, clearly uh, we are a, uh, a supplier. We have uh, valued and important uh, relationships uh, with, uh, with all of the big players and they have uh, added considerably uh, to our, uh, our library content, often tapping, uh, as they have with uh, Johnny Test, is a, is a good recent example, and, <clears throat> you know, uh, going into the seventh season. Um, that's a pretty long tail, and so um, uh, I think it's sort of on a title-by-title -title basis. Um, the, the virtue of AVOD, of course, is that... Uh, we are the captain of our own ship, and that uh, we can control the, the the destiny of that content by uh, what it is that we produce, uh, the running time, uh, the regions, the languages. Uh, we get the data directly. We don't enjoy that benefit uh, in SVOD. That data is held by uh, our um, our SVOD partners, um, and you know, as a consequence we kind of know when to hit the accelerator as far as new content production. Uh, I would give Caillou, uh, you know, a, a very valuable title in our library as an example uh, where we produced a, a lot of new content uh, specifically for our Wild Brain Spark uh, platform just based on the appeal that we see. Um, so um, I, I, I think the, you know, that full story has not as yet been written um, but, you know, one of the opportunities that we see, particularly as we um, bring, uh, you know, well-known past content out of the library and to the fore and bring it back into the market, uh, that we see uh, the Avon platform uh, as an interesting way of, of taking the content out. I, I want to mention something else as well, which I, I think is an interesting phenomenon, not, a, you know, directly addressing your question, but one of the things that we're beginning to see emerge um, is the use of AVOD to uh, support and promote the content on SVOD. And I think that there was an orthodoxy in the uh, you know, early days of uh, SVOD that didn't permit any AVOD uh, explo uh, explo um, exploitation. But now what we're seeing is uh, the availability and the flexibility uh, among the SVOD players uh, to really use the you know, huge audience, the number of eyeballs that uh, AVOD enjoys uh, to drive traffic uh, for the longer form version. I think it's a really smart move. <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, the equivalent of advertising. Um, and I think we then have this sort of always on aspect uh, where you're seeing content uh, across multiple platforms. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but you know those are the trends that we're seeing. 
No, it's, it's very helpful. Uh, thanks very much. I appreciate that. You guys stay safe. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Drew McReynolds from RBC. Your line is open. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks very much. Good morning. Uh, two for you, I think, Eric. Uh, on the Wildbring Spark, uh, obviously very good traffic numbers that you're reporting. Can you comment on how it's performing relative to what you would consider to be a decent AVOD uh, comparables uh, within the space? And uh, second, on M&A in general, if the world's locked down a little longer than what's expected, clearly the demand for you know animation and production and library assets uh, presumably goes up to, to lock in that supply. Um, are, are you sensing or seeing, or would you expect um, some of the bigger players to go hunting here um, for, for that kind of bulked up capability. Thank you. So um, let me take the second part of the question first. Uh, uh, your guess is as good as mine. Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, we don't know where this is going to land exactly uh, as, uh, you know, kids go back to school. Um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't be uh, surprised to sort of see a secular decline in the amount of, you know, watch time of, uh, of views. Uh, that said, uh, the discovery that's taken place uh, during this time is pretty amazing. So, uh, you know, th those, those numbers are impressive. Uh, we, you know, new content uh, being uh, uh, discovered uh, all the time. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, it really creates some stickiness and adhesion to our, uh, our platform. So I think we'll see lasting effects of that, uh, sort of irrespective of, uh, you know, how the, uh, the, um, the COVID crisis uh, resolves itself. Um, uh, you know, to your first question, look, uh, th there have been a lot of trades in this space. Uh, you know, you saw Voodoo and Tubi and, and uh, other major media companies, uh, you know, stepping in. Uh, obviously, the, uh, we, we think and welcome uh, Peacock to the marketplace. Uh, I think it's going to mean a, an incredibly muscular player in, you know, my, my uh, former employer, NBC Universal, um, And, uh, you know, they will bring to... Uh, the market, uh, incredible advertising sales, and I think analytics that uh, the industry needs and wants. Um, and so I think that's really good for everyone. Um, and, uh, and again, it will, it will help shift fundamental viewing patterns uh, from a linear to, uh, to nonlinear television. So uh, yeah, there are definitely trades taking place in the space. Um, and uh, you know the you know it's 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 aggregation. Um, it's not unusual or surprising. I think we saw the same thing happen, frankly, in the cable industry with with independent cable channels and how those were absorbed. Uh, you know, uh, some years ago. So uh, you know, these uh, history repeats itself. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I turn the call back over to Nancy Chin Palmatier for closing comments.
Once again, there are no further questions at this time. I turn the call back over to Nancy for closing comments. I think we may have lost Nancy. Sorry, I had I had it on mute. I was talking, but <laughs> nobody was listening. Uh, thank everyone for joining us today, and uh, we look forward to updating you next quarter. And please stay, stay safe and healthy. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you that, con that concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.